0: Children are down at Sunday school, so we have no... Psalm 42, I want you to go to, and as you turn to Psalm 42, then I want to read a verse from Jeremiah 23. So, you go to Psalm 42, and I'll just read a verse from... Jeremiah 23 and verse 23. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Am I a God near at hand? said the Lord, and not a God afar off. The overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that God is a God who desires uh, to be near His people. He's not a God who is aloof, distant, disinterested, unattached with the daily affairs of His people. Right from the beginning, this was so. We see in the Bible's very earliest recordings of God's dealing with man how that in the Garden of Eden. He came in the cool of the day and he conversed with Adam and Eve. And then we see, of course, in the, the wilderness journeys of Israel en route to the Promised Land, how that God was in the midst of the camp. He was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever the camp rested for a while, then they built the tabernacle. And the whole camp surrounded the tabernacle so that, in a sense, that God was in their midst. And he was in the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that shone between the cherubims and the ark in the most holy place. But God was not content with tabernacling himself in a tent in the desert. He wanted to tabernacle himself in human flesh. And John says about Christ that the Word was made flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course we know that whenever Jesus eventually left this earth, uh, that He sent His promised Holy Spirit who would not be with us, but who would be in us. And so the whole desire of God, right from the beginning and right to the end, is to be near and to be in the midst of his people. However, although we know that to be scripturally true, uh, yet there is times whenever we feel that God is afar off. There's times whenever we feel, and I I use the word feel, uh, because it really isn't true, but we feel that, that somehow or other that God is afar off. Now this is most likely to come whenever there is a long delay in the answer to prayer or the promise is yet unfulfilled or the sickness is long and lingering or the unexpected news that has rocked your world uh, perhaps has left you feeling deflated uh, and down, maybe even somewhat depressed and maybe not a little defeated. And so, inwardly, even though we know scripturally that God is near and God is nigh to us, but yet, inwardly, many times, we feel that God is a million miles away. We can't sense His presence, we can't feel Him near, and that's how we feel. And we say, well, how would God allow this to happen? Does He not care about my predicament? Did he not promise that he would never leave me? He would never forsake me, be with me to the end? And if that is true, why do I feel that he's absent in my life? Why do I feel he's not present anymore the way he used to be? Anybody this morning know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there, even just temporarily for a moment or two? Psalm 42 Three times in this psalm, which we'll read in a moment or two, three times the psalmist said that his soul was cast down. His soul was bowed down. Again and again, his detractor said, where is your God? This God that you're always talking about. This God that you've trusted in. This God that you've been faithful to. Well, where is your God now? And they constantly said that. Now we don't know for sure who wrote this psalm. Uh, Some say it was a wandering Levite, and he was far away from the temple in Jerusalem, and he was longing to be in the place where he could praise God again. Others say for sure it was David, and no question about it, it sounds Davidic as you read through it, we'll see this in a moment or two as well. And they say it was David when he was on the run from his son Absalom, who uh, betrayed him and who threatened to take his very throne and his crown from him, his own son. Others say it was King Hezekiah. Uh, King Hezekiah, the rack and pen this whenever he was stricken by illness that threatened his very life, and that uh, we don't know how long that illness lasted, but it was a serious illness indeed. And uh, some reckon that was the time when he penned this, when he was going through this difficult period in his life when he couldn't be at the house of God and it seemed to be God's presence was missing and so forth. Now Hezekiah was second only to King David as uh, as far as the the great kings of of Judah was concerned. He was a wonderful king. He, He began his reign when he was just 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And he was both a a reformer and uh, uh, both politically and spiritually. Uh, His his aim was under God to change the whole uh, temperature spiritually of the nation. And he did that. Uh, He restored temple worship that had been missing for so long. They had worshipped gods in in every grove and every high hill they could find. Uh, So for a long time they were far from God. But this man uh, began to Uh, To rally the nation again and to bring them back to God. Uh, And politically, there were compromisers with Egypt and with this nation and that nation. And he he sought to rectify that situation. Uh, And he had Isaiah the prophet as his spiritual advisor and as his confidant. You know, Isaiah the prophet was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. and, And he was fortunate to have him by his side continually. And so between them, between Isaiah and Hezekiah, they were turning the nation back to God, but they were fighting a battle on two fronts, uh, and that was that the nation was uh, full of spiritual uh, false cults. Uh, And, of course, the dreaded Assyrians, their northern neighbor, that warlike nation that had already destroyed the ten tribes uh, called Israel, the, the ten northern tribes. Judah was the two southern tribes. And already the Assyrians had come in and had wiped out uh, Israel and scattered them to the four corners of the earth. And now they were threatening little Judah, the tiny little two nation of Judah, the two tribes They were threatening uh, to destroy them. Uh, And so uh, here is this godly king. He's serving God faithfully. He's turning the nation back to God in spite of much opposition, might I add. And now in spite of all of that, his health is severely challenged. He is literally sick unto death. In fact, it's so bad that Isaiah, his trusted spiritual advisor, tells him to set his house in order for you shall surely die and not live. If ever God seemed far away, surely for Hezekiah it must be now. If ever God seemed distant and aloof and disinterested and not unduly concerned at all about him, right now was the time when he would feel this. And for all of, of all of the times for this actually to happen, you know, he was in his prime. He was doing a fantastic job. He's living godly. And suddenly the rug is pulled out from under him. And, and he's sick. And it's Terminal. And the prophet has told him so. And when he gets that news from the prophet, he turns his face onto the wall and he cries unto the Lord and he weeps bitterly. And so at this moment, if he ever was going to feel that God was afar off, this is it. And there are times in our lives, in, in crises times, in difficult periods and, and even though we know scripturally he's near we know scripturally he's there and we know that all Spirit lives within us scripturally but just at that moment it seems that God is a million miles away hold your place in Psalm 42 I, I want to just turn to Second Kings chapter 20 and just read this where this actually happens 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I walk before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And so they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered some boil. Imagine he was full of boils. Whatever this disease was, it was not just a skin rash. It wasn't just a big zit. It was life-threatening, terminal. So they took a lump of figs, laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which is spoken and shall, shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? This was on the sundial. And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backwards 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. And so, it could be, and we're going to take it as such this morning, because we're unsure of exactly who wrote this, but it could be that Hezekiah wrote Psalm 42 in the midst of this very, very difficult period of his life when he felt God was afar off so let's read Psalm 42 and make just some comments as we look at it above the, the Psalm in my Bible it says yearning for God in the midst of distresses to the chief musician a contemplation of the sons of Korah who were the magicians Musicians. Did I say magicians? (laughs) Musicians. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Now here's a man, and this is encouraging, in spite of all that he's going through, in spite of his deadly illness, in spite of being in his prime, and it looks like his life is going to be taken away suddenly. In spite of the Assyrians that are about to come in and just uh, destroy his nation before his eyes. Here's a man who is desperate above all things, to be in the house of the Lord. When shall I appear before God? Here he is confined to his palace. Looking terrible. Feeling horrible. With all of this weight of dreadful news upon him. And the one thing in the midst of all of that that he wants. Is to be in the house of the Lord. You've got to admire this man. He's panting. He's hungering. He's thirsting after righteousness. He's like the deer that's been hunted and hounded, who is thirsty, who longs for a river to drink and to escape the hounds that are chasing. There's something godly about this man. There's something about him, like David, who loves the house of the Lord. And he wants to be in God's presence. Now we know that we can be in God's presence in a room or in a field or a country road in a walk. we know that. but there's a reason for the house of God where we come corporately together and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's something about the house of the Lord when God's people meet that is special and it is good and it's right. He says, "My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, "Where is your God?" in a mocking tone. And while in your difficult day, it may not be that somebody literally comes to you and says, where is your God in the midst of this? But it could be that your own feelings are mocking you. Where is your God? If God is so good, if God is so real, where is your God right now in the midst of your difficulty? Ever hear that voice in your head? Does that voice ever speak to you? Job's wife said to him, curse God and die. How would you have it like to have a wife like that? Hmm? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Oh, he's remembering, he's looking back and he's longing. If only I could go with a multitude to the house of the Lord again. What a joy that would be. And then he asks himself the question, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you to within me? Why? He knew the truth. He knew the word of God. He knew that God wouldn't leave him. But his feelings were saying the opposite. He knew what the word said, but his feelings were dictating to him. So he said, why? Why should I be feeling this? Why should I be even thinking this way? Why should I be even verbalizing this? So he's given himself a good talking to. Have you ever given yourself a good talking to? Have you ever taken yourself with a scruff of the neck and shook yourself? <laughs> Sometimes we need to do that, don't we? Hit ourselves a good kick up the posterior, spiritually speaking. Why are you cast down on my soul? You ought to know better. <coughs> you know the truth. You know that God would never leave you. But that's what you feel. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God. Now he's talking to God now. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan. From the hills of Hermon. From the hill Mizar. Deep calls on to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. He's looking back to the Jordan who begins its journey in Mount Hermon and comes down the mountainside, particularly in flood time, when it's in full spate and it's twisting and it's weaving its way through the valley and the rocks and the preposis, and it's a torrent and he's feeling that this is coming over his head and that the currents are about to sweep him away and he feels, what can I do about this? I'm helpless. <laughs> Look, there's some full flood against me. The bellows is coming over my head. I'm about to drown here. Did you ever feel that? Spiritually speaking, you're about to drown. You feel you're being swept away by some undercurrent that's not of your making. Then he said, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now you can see him swinging back and forward in his thoughts and in his thinking. One minute he's up, the next minute he's down. One minute is positive, the next minute is negative. One minute God seems a million miles away, the next minute he's saying, but God, you're going to be with me day and night. See, when God seems far away, this is how we react very often. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That sounds very contradictory, doesn't it? You remember... Peter, how that when he was lying on the roof of Simon the Tanner and God gave him that vision of that sheep coming down with all of those creepy crawly things that it was unlawful for him as a Jew to eat and the Lord says, arise Peter, slay and eat remember what he said, not so Lord let me paraphrase that, no way Lord, don't you know that's against my religion I can't eat that But there's a big contradiction. No way, Lord. If he's Lord, he can't say no. Sure, he can't. It's a contradiction. But I'm not sure that Hezekiah is making a contradiction here. It looks like it on the surface. But I think he said, I will say to God, my rock, I'm weak. I'm vacillating, I'm up, I'm down, I'm in, I'm out. But you're the rock, you never change. You're solid, you're faithful, you're the rock. I know that, I'm acknowledging that. But Lord, why have you forgotten me? (laughs) Why have you forgotten me? See, this is how he's feeling. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. Why they say to me all day long, where is your God? (laughs) You feel for this man this morning? Enter into his feelings, his situation, his humanness? Because all of us of human feelings. All of us has weaknesses. All of us has moments of feeling our life is not in control, that somehow we're being swept away. And life seems to mock us. All that we believe, all that we know is true. Sometimes life seems to mock us, say, where's your God? If your God is so good, where is he? If your God is so powerful, why doesn't he do something? Where is your God? If you're so faithful and you're such a fine Christian, why do you feel this way? See, all of those thoughts will want to filter through your mind. trouble is when they get into your spirit, that's when they can really cause damage. And so again, he says for the third time, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So what do you do when God seems far away? How do you handle it? Because there are those moments when he does seem far away. Well, first of all, we walk... By faith, not by feelings. Paul puts it this way He says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, it means the same thing. Walk by faith, (laughs) not by feelings. And you can definitely see Hezekiah's struggle between his faith and his feelings. It's a battle, isn't it? It's a war sometimes. You know you know in your heart and what you feel in your head very often is very different, isn't it? We know in our heart what's true, but our head is screaming something else at us. It's amazing how quickly and easily that we can jump to the negative, can't we? And believe the worst possible scenario. I was in the the mall one day in Lisburn. it was a beautiful summer's day and I was apartment car and a car parked, I just walked into the mall it was just about three-quarters of the way through it and I heard on the tannoy, would the owner of car such and such such registration please to return to your car immediately. And right at that moment my heart sunk and the first thing I thought was somebody stole my car. The wee security man has heard the tire screeching as it went out of that car park. And I thought, well, maybe it's not stolen. but Maybe somebody's busted the window and stolen my car radio, stereo. (coughs) Then I had a horrible thought. I thought, somebody's reversed into the front of it. And I could see that light hanging out by the wires. (laughs) And I was thinking, this is going to be expensive. By the time I walked that four minutes back to my car, I must have thought about six different things that it could possibly be. And when I got there, it wasn't any of them. Now the wee security man's face didn't help me as I was walking up. And I got there and he stood, and he says, uh, he pointed. He said, "You left your window wide open, sir, didn't you?" And I did. I forgot to wind my window up. She says, not a good thing to do around here, sir. I says, a lot of people would steal somebody' out of your car. I said, thank you very much, I really appreciate that. And I got in and cut the window up and went back in again. Phew, what a relief. I had imagined the worst possible things from being stolen to being broken into, being versed into, everything I could think of. And it was none of those things. And very often that's what we're like. Something happens, and immediately we imagine the worst possible outcome. Well, this man didn't have to imagine too much, because not only was it going to be for him the worst possible outcome, but not only that, but God Himself told him so through the prophet Set your house in order. You shall surely die and not live. I mean, you couldn't get it any more clear than that, could you? So you can't blame him for jumping to a negative conclusion. Sure you can't. What did Martin Luther say? Feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token... There is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I trust in his unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Glory to God. And so walk by faith, not by your feelings. Now let me say, and I've said this many times before, your immediate reaction will probably be negative with bad news. That is our human immediate reaction. But it's what you do with that from then on. It may be a battle, it may be a fight, it may be the biggest fight of your life, but what you do with that very often will determine the outcome. The second thing is this. Even if your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. Even if your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. Twice in that psalm, he said to his soul, Hope in God, for I will yet <coughs> praise him. Verse 5 and verse 11. Twice he said to his soul, Hope in God. Don't lose your hope. Hebrews and 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without hope, fo- without hope, better get these teeth fixed. Without hope, faith is nothing to give substance to. In photographic terms, hope is the negative; faith is the print. In architectural terms, hope is the blueprint. Faith is the building. In sculpture, hope is the big square block of marble. Faith is the angel that the sculptor brings out of that big block of marble. Faith needs something to substantiate in hope is what it gives substance to. What are you hoping for? Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did, notice this, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. "...so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken." What does that mean? "...who contrary to hope, in hope, believed." "...who contrary to all natural hope, which was gone." They were too old to have children. Sarah was well past, even conceiving, never mind giving birth. So all natural hope was gone." But he had a spiritual hope. There was some hope that was beyond the natural. And sometimes if all of you look at it as the natural, you will have no hope whatsoever. You need a spiritual hope. And so contrary to hope, that natural hope, because it was gone, there's none to hope in anymore, in hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations. He was the father of the faith, wasn't he? Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now this is not hope soism. This is a hope that springs from your spirit when you decide to trust God. It's something that rises up from within that's a godly thing. It's a good thing that faith can latch on to. Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Not just what you're hoping for of us deferred, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you have no hope whatsoever, it makes the heart sick. And then thirdly, prayer and praise can make all the difference. Listen to what he says in verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. In spite of all that he's facing, all that he's feeling, He's talking to himself here. He's saying, I'm going to praise and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to praise in the daytime and I'm going to pray in the nighttime. Verse 11 Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I'm going to praise him now when I don't feel like it. I'm going to praise him by faith. I'm going to praise him because he deserves to be praised. I'm going to praise him because he's worthy to be praised regardless of how I feel. And then when I get the answer that I need, I'm going to praise him even more. Praise and prayer makes all the difference. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, you know it well. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Doesn't sound as if God's involved in this man's life. Hmm? But he is. says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Hasn't happened yet but he's still rejoicing. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me to walk on my high hills. When Paul and Silas were locked in that jailhouse at midnight, prayer and praise made all the difference, didn't it? When Peter was in jail awaiting his execution, which was going to happen the next morning, Prayer in the house of John Mark made all the difference. God sent a big angel, slapped him on the wrist, knocked those chains off, and he walked out, didn't he? Remember Joshua, when he came to Jericho, that great city, that fortified walled city? Remember under the direction of God what he told him to do? That once for six days they were to march around the city And then on the seventh day they were to march around seven times. And on the last march around, which was the 13th time, remember what he told them to do? He told the priest to give a long, loud blast on the trumpets. And they were to shout with a loud voice. And on the 13th time around, the priest gave a long, long blast on the trumpets. And the people as one shouted with a great shout. And it made all the difference, didn't it? the walls fell down and the city was taken. Hezekiah says, I will praise you and I will pray to you in the daytime and in the night season. And it made all the difference. Before Isaiah had reached the middle ward, God sent him back and says, tell him, I'm going to heal him. And I'm going to give him 15 years on his life. And not to worry about his enemies, the Assyrians. I'll take care of them. And he did. So Hezekiah had his health restored. He got 15 years on his life. And his enemies, the Assyrians, were completely and utterly defeated. Glory to God. What do you do when God seems far away? You walk by faith, not by your feelings. And even when your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. And pray and praise God because it will make all the difference in your situation. Let's pray. Bless the Lord. Now I don't know exactly where you are this morning in relation to this message. But in a congregation of, of this size, my guess is that it would be a number of you who is either in this position or has been in it. And you've been struggling with your feelings. been a battle, it's been a fight. But today I want you to be encouraged. I want you to lift up your eyes, lift up your heart, look up to God, put your trust in Him. I, regardless of the circumstances, God is still on the throne. He's still in control of your life. He knows every single thing about you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows how to bring a blessing, a miracle. Lord, we look to you today. We look above and beyond our present circumstances. Because that would only discourage us we look to you as the answer and for the answer we're going to trust we're going to believe we're going to have confidence and faith in you Lord our hope hasn't died so we thank you for this encourage us Lord to Keep trusting and keep believing to never, ever, ever give up, but to give it over to you. To believe that you're bigger than this, Lord. Whatever this mountain is, Lord, you're bigger and you're greater. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. So, whoever's doing the.